In 2 Samuel, David has become king of Israel. Saul has died and David has ascended to the throne. In chapter 6, Jerusalem is made the new capital city. In chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David, promising to establish his throne forever. In chapter 8, David overcomes his final enemies and rules over all of Israel. And here in chapter 9, David takes the opportunity to show kindness to a man called Mephibosheth. And this kindness to Mephibosheth is the perfect preparation for the Lord's Supper. David is a type of Christ who is the greater than David, the true messianic king. Kindness is that excellency of God which is poured out to sinners. And Mephibosheth, he is a picture of all sinners saved by grace. Therefore, let us prepare for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper by considering Mephibosheth, the king's kindness to a dead dog. Our three headings tonight are one, the kindness of Christ. Two, the object of Christ's kindness. Three, the free gifts of Christ's kindness. David is king. The enemies have been overcome. He can do absolutely anything he desires. He can glory in his wealth. He can spend and enjoy his riches. He could give his life to frivolity and parties. But David has a more noble theme in his heart. Verse 1, David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Instead of all these vain things, David desires to show kindness to the remnants of the house of Saul. And this word kindness is the key theme in this chapter. You see the word repeated three times. Verse 1, verse 3, and verse 7. Kindness. But kindness is not our English word, meaning to be friendly, considerate, generous. This is that Old Testament Hebrew word we are so familiar with. Chesed. And you remember that this word is so rich, no one word or two words can rightly understand the depths. The word has the idea and the meaning of love, grace, goodness, mercy, kindness, faithfulness, loyalty, devotion. 
Sometimes it's translated kindness, like this chapter. At other times, it is mercy. Sometimes, loving kindness. In other translations, steadfast love, or covenant love. The idea behind the word is fervent love that is free and faithful. It is love bestowed upon another freely and fully. It is a love that is faithful and loyal. It is dedicated and will not be removed and is always there for his object. One of the classic cases of this word is the story of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite, a heathen, but she marries into a Jewish home and chapter 1 certainly proves that she was converted because Naomi's God, Jehovah, becomes Ruth's God, Jehovah. And Ruth loses her husband. And Naomi says, you have no debt to pay here. There is no obligation. Me, a widow, you, a widow, and a Moabitess coming into the land of Israel. There's only poverty for you there. You're under no obligation. Go, Ruth. Go back to your people. And Ruth shows chesed. Fervent love for her mother-in-law. And for God, Jehovah. And she is faithful and loyal in her love. She will bear the potential reproach of a Moabitess. She will endure the possible poverty and having to scrape at the edges of a corner for the lying down of vegetation and fruit left behind. And as she is faithful, Boaz says in chapter 3 even, your chesed is even greater now than it ever was because you were so faithful not only to be loyal and clinging in love to Naomi, but also to seek me as your kinsman or redeemer. And this chesed, this loyal, free love is what David desires to show to the house of Saul. But then David also adds the basis of why he is showing this love to the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. This is referring to a covenant made between David and Jonathan. And you remember Jonathan is Saul's son. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. A covenant is a solemn promise confirmed with an oath. And why did these two make a covenant? Love. It says in the previous verses that Jonathan's soul was knit to David. And because there was love, there was a solemn promise made. Now what was the content of this covenant? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14, 
Thou shalt not only, while I yet live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So the covenant promise is that even if Jonathan dies, even if all the enemies of David perish, David will continue to show kindness, chesed, loyal, devoted, faithful love to his household and family. And now in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's between 15 and 20 years later. Jonathan and Saul are dead. The kingdom is established. And David remembers his covenant promise. And he will show loyal love to the house of Saul. And we can apply this, but I want to refrain from applying it and focus simply on this. David showing kindness is to reveal God's kindness to us. Verse 3. And the king says, There are not any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God. As God, sorry, as David shows kindness, it reveals God's kindness. And what is God's kindness? It's the same as substance, to an extent, of David's and Jonathan's, but far, far greater. As David's kindness was based upon covenant promises and love, so is Jehovah's. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord God did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. O Israel, my people, I do not love you because I'm impressed with you. I do not love you because there's something in you alluring to me that's causing me to respond in love. You're not impressive. You're few. You're small. You're sinners. But because the Lord loved you, freeness, undeservedly, loved you. And because he would keep the oath, which he had sworn unto your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you. I have saved you. God, the Lord God, that keepeth covenant. God, Chesed, is a free, undeserving, abounding love to undeserving people. He has taken an oath and solemnly promised to redeem his people. And he will keep his covenant forever. 
And this is good news for you and me. God saves sinners according to his chesed kindness. Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Oh, what a verse. Who? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever. Why, God? Why? Why will you save us? Why will you pardon our perversity and our wickedness? Why will you pass by our transgressions of the law of God? Why will your anger be removed? Why, O God? Because he delighteth in chesed. Because he takes pleasure in showing kindness to sinners. Because it is his enjoyment to show free, loyal love and save. And how can we come to know this loving kindness of God? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's kindness, God's loyal love is known and experienced through the Son of God on earth. Think of the covenant promises of God. What are they? Jesus Christ. It's the night before his death. He's been teaching and preaching the gospel for three years now. It's Passover. He's with his disciples in the upper room. They're remembering the Lord's redemption out of the Exodus. And Christ takes elements of the table and he changes it to the new covenant. He takes that cup and he says, This cup is the blood, my blood, of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sins. All God's redeeming covenant is in Jesus Christ. But what about the promises of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, The Son of God, Jesus Christ, which is preached unto you, all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen. All these promises which he is faithful to, devoted to, which he will never break and lie to you, but will fulfill them all in you, brother and sister. They are yea and amen in Christ. And love. Where do we see love, brother and sisters? We see it in Christ. God commended his love, Romans 5. Commends means he put it on a billboard at the side of the road and want everyone to know. 
He's uploaded it to YouTube so that every person on this planet can see this is my love. Jesus Christ died for sinners. This is God's kindness. This is God's covenant, promised, faithful, loyal, fervent love. Jesus Christ in the gospel. What kindness Christ has shown you, brother and sister. His infinite, unchangeable, eternal, loyal love is yours in Jesus Christ. And yet how little do we understand these things. A.W. Pink writing says, Alas, how feeble are our apprehensions of this wonderful attribute of God. How altogether inadequate our best efforts to set forth its excellency. Oh, that our hearts may be melted by its exquisite light and shade. Is that you? Is that me? You have a theological somewhat understanding of God's kindness. But is it exquisite to you? Is it thrilling to you? Is it powerful to you? Is it full of light revealing your God to you? Is it full of shade and comfort from the heating sun? Well, the Bible wants us to know God's kindness. And the Bible doesn't just give us doctrinal propositions, though it does, but it gives real-life historical examples. Because as men, as men experience kindness, we can relate to these experiences and we can say, Oh, how great is the love of God towards me. And as we see David's kindness towards Mephibosheth, we see God's marvellous love to us. Which means to understand God's kindness, we must understand the object of kindness. Who does David show kindness to? There are four descriptions of this man. First of all, he's of the house of Saul. Verse 1, who shall I show kindness towards the house of Saul? Verse 2, and there was of the house of Saul a servant, Zeba. And Zeba will show him, verse 3, where can I show kindness to the house of Saul? And then verse 6. He is the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, the grandson of Saul. He is of the house of Saul. And why is this so important for us to know? As Matthew Henry so says, as Jonathan was David's solemn friend, Saul 
was David's solemn enemy. If you've ever read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, which I'm sure you have, and children, I'm sure you know the life of David. How did Saul treat David? Children, you know that he was jealous of David. David and his triumphs, David and his victory, David against Goliath, David against the Philistines. And the jealousy boiled over. And on different occasions, he took a javelin and sought to slay David. He persecuted David with zeal in caves and in fields and in other lands. And we sung from Psalm 59 and David expressing his experience on the run from Saul. And look at the language of the enemy. Psalm 59 verse 1. The title is, When Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. They lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me. Saul was David's enemy. But when Saul died the house of Saul arose to attack David. If you read 2 Samuel chapter 2 to chapter 4, you will see the family of David, family of Saul arise. Abner, Ishofeth, they want the crown. They want the throne. And so they attack and seek to kill David. And what do kings do in the Bible when one family is on the throne and they're replaced by another family? Well, the one who's on the throne slays the other family so they do not rebel against him. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 11, Zimri becomes the king and the former uh, house on the throne was the house of Beisha. And it says, Zimri, when he began to reign, as soon as he sat on his throne, he slew all the house of Beisha. And here's the son, this grandson of the house of Saul, his enemy's household. And he doesn't slay him. He shows kindness to him. And the second description is that he is lame. He is lame, he's crippled, he's disabled, he cannot walk. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it explains what happens. He's about five years old and it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass, as she made heads to flee, and he fell and became lame. David's kindness is towards a lame person, disabled, crippled. Thirdly, where is this young man? He's at the house of Machir, which is a a person, And he is looking after this 
grandson of Saul. And they're staying in Lodabar. The place literally means the place of no pasture. It is in the desert east of Jordan. And it has two connotations. One, it's in the middle of nowhere. And two, it's a place that's barren. No pasture. And David has kindness on him. And then, of course, we have his name, Mephibosheth. It means a shameful thing. David has kindness towards the man of shame, the cripple, the one of no pasture, an enemy. And this reveals Christ's kindness towards us. All sinners are of the household of Adam, enemies of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says that Adam sinned, and as Adam sinned, we all sinned. And all who are of the house of Adam are enemies of God. Romans 5.10, when we were enemies. By nature, we hate God. We despise God. We don't want anything to do with God. And he comes in Jesus Christ and shows kindness to us. All sinners are spiritually lame, spiritually disabled, spiritually crippled. We cannot walk in a way that's pleasing God. We are dead and blind and alienated and have no spiritual ability whatsoever due to our total depravity and God comes in Christ and shows us kindness. No pasture. No pasture. We are by nature spiritually barren. Wastelands. Fruitless. Matthew chapter 3 verse 10. John the Baptist preaching. The axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit. Is hewn down and cast into the fire. And this is a problem. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. A good tree produces good fruit and a corrupt tree produces bad fruit. And we are all by nature corrupted trees with no pasture, no fruit, barren, deserving only to be cast into the fire. And God in Jesus Christ shows kindness to us. And we're all Mephibosheths. We're all men, women and children of shame. When Adam was before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. And then they sinned against God and they knew that they were naked and they were shamed. We are naked sinners full of shame. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 52 Thine own shame 
for thy sins. Our iniquities, our Sabbath breaking, our idolatry, our murder, our lust, our covetousness, our lies, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, polluted, spiritual lepers, no soundness from the top of our head to the tip of our toes. And God comes in Jesus Christ and shows kindness. This is the gospel. We are all enemies of God. We are all spiritually lame. We are all of no pasture. We are all named shame. And God comes in his infinite love and shows kindness to us. Think of Isaiah 35. It begins with the promise of Christ coming. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. We are from, from Lodabar. We have no pasture. God will make us flourish. Then verse 6. Then shall the lame leap as a heart and sing For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the deserts. How beautiful is that? And in Matthew 11, in Matthew 15, what do you see? Jesus Christ coming and he looks upon the lame and he shows kindness to them. And they walk. He comes to a man sick of the palsy and he's lame in Mark chapter 2. And he says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Take up your mat and walk. I show kindness to you. Think of the language we read in Romans 5. Jesus Christ didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come from good people and nice people. Who did he come for? See the kindness of our Lord. When we were yet Without strength, weak like a lame man and woman. In due time Christ died for the ungodly. God commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, we were reconciled. This is Christ towards you, brother and sister. You have cold, harsh, slavish, fearing views of your God. He's saying to you loud and clear, see my kindness, see my chesed, see my loyal, faithful, free love towards you. Look at this man. Look at this man. An enemy, lame, barren, shame, and I lavish him with my love. And that's what I do for you in the gospel. And you know what's wonderful? Mephibosheth doesn't come to David. David fetches Mephibosheth. Look at verse 5. 
Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machia. Oh, oh, Mephibosheth, would you like to come? I want that man. And I want my chesed to be poured out upon him. And that's what Christ does in the gospel too. He comes in the preaching of the gospel and he says to anyone who's spiritually lame, come, everything is ready for you. Kindness is for you. You remember the parable of the great banquet? There's a great feast representing the gospel, justification, forgiveness of sins, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, glorification, the love of God. And then the man in the banquet says, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, that's the lame, and the blind. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And that's what Jesus Christ does in the preaching of the gospel in every age and in every country, right here, right now. He says, I have kindness and chesed for you. I have loyal and fervent and free love, grace and goodness for you. It's all ready. You don't have to do anything. It's free. It's free. The bread, the milk, the wine, it's free. The church and the spirit come to you and say, Whosoever will, come, take of the water of life freely. Here is Christ and he comes to poor, maimed, blind, halt, lame sinners and he says, fill my house. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and believe in me. Come, come and I will give you rest. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And then he comes to you with his effectual grace. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. We are loved with an everlasting love and with his chesed, his loving kindness he has drawn us. There's a wonderful picture here. In verse 2, Ziba, he knows this man. And when David says, is there someone in the house of Saul who I can show kindness to? He doesn't even give the name. There's a son and he's lame. There's no name. Verse 6, this enemy, this barren one, This lame man, this man of shame, he approaches David the king. And what does David king say? He says his name, Mephibosheth. Do you want to know why? John chapter 10, verse 2. The shepherd knows his sheep by name. And when the gospel was preached to you, Jesus Christ comes in the midst of the preaching of that gospel and he says, my kindness is for you and he calls you by name. I know all your sins. 
I know all your failings. I know all your shame. I know all the skeletons in your closet. And you know what? I show you free, loyal love. And yet sometimes we know that theologically and we can't grasp it. And Samuel Rutherford also wrestled with that. Such a poor sinner. And he says this in one of his letters. Love, love, I mean Christ's love, is the hottest coal that ever I felt. Oh, but the smoke of it be hot. Cast all the salt sea on it. It will flame. Hell cannot quench it. Many, many waters will not quench love. Christ is turned over to his poor prisoner in a mass and globe of love. I wonder that he should waste so much love upon such a waster as I am. But he is no waster, but abundant. Do you think Christ is wasting his kindness and love towards you? Absolutely not. He is no waster. He is infinite and he has set a universe, a Godhead full of love towards you, brother and sister in Christ. And so when you think of the table tomorrow, think of what? Christ's love to you by name. How wonderful, how sweet, how personal, in particular, redemption. Then thirdly, the free gifts of Christ's kindness. Look at all the wonderful thing David's kindness does. First of all, there is no fear. Verse 7, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. Don't fear. I'm not going to slay you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to show you kindness and loyal love. There's peace. You don't need to worry. You don't need to panic. Fear not. I will show you kindness. And that's Christ for you. You don't have to fear anymore. If you've repented of your sins and turned to Jesus Christ by faith, fear not. John 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You were enemies, but according to his love, you're friends. You're restless and you're laboring and you're despairing. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Or you're troubled in soul, you're restless in soul, you're shaken up in your soul. As we discussed last night from John 14, 27, my peace give I unto you. Secondly, it says that he restored all the land of Saul, thy father. This is the inheritance of the land David is saying, we are reconciled, we have fellowship again, and I'm giving you the possession, the inheritance of Saul. In Adam, we lost fellowship with God, and we lost Eden. In Christ, in his love, we have regained fellowship 
and restored paradise. First John chapter 1 says, We have fellowship with the Father and with his Son. He desires you. Christ said at the first Lord's Supper, with desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you. He says right here, right now to you, with desire, I desire to eat this Lord's Supper with you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, open up and I will sup fellowship, eat at a table with you. And an inheritance We have the right to eternal life and the right to heaven now. We have an inheritance undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us all. Thirdly, he says that Mephibosheth will now eat bread at his table continually. You will never lack You will never want. You will never be without. I will provide for you abundantly and continually. And this is what Jesus Christ does in himself. I am the bread of life, he says. He that comes to me shall never hunger. What do you need? Grace, power, strength, righteousness, holiness, love, mercy, goodness. What do you need? What do you need? It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Do you need redemption? Psalm 130. There's plenteous redemption. Do you need grace? John 1.16. Of his fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace. The Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. Fourthly, Mephibosheth has no ability to bear fruit for himself. So he takes Zeba and Zeba's sons and Zeba's servants and calls them to work and labour to enable Mephibosheth to bear fruit. And Jesus Christ has sent the Holy Spirit into you to enable you, to give you life, to give you power and to bear holiness through the fruit of of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance are abundantly provided for you because it's me and my kindness in you, both to will and to do of my good pleasure. And fifthly, verse 11, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth, you're an orphan. You have no one to help you. You're at the charity of a man from Lodabar. You're now my son. And Jesus Christ comes to his love to you. You were of your father the devil. But now by my grace and by my love, you are now the child of God the Father and I am your elder brother. And I am not ashamed to call you brethren. And all the privileges of sonship, all the privileges of being in the household, the family of God are yours. Behold, Chesed, behold all what manner of love has the Father in Christ bestowed upon you. 
This is yours. All of it. Free, faithful love. And how did Mephibosheth respond? Verse 8, And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? He is overwhelmed. If David would simply say, I am not going to kill you, get out of my presence, that would have been enough. But as Romans 5 says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Ephesians 3.20, God gives us abundantly, hyper, super above anything we can even ask or think. And in the gospel, he comes and gives us himself, which is everything. And we come to him and do we not at times just think, oh, am I a dead dog? My sins, my shame, my nothing. First of all, my friend, let me know, let you know, be overwhelmed and amazed by grace. Never move beyond the gospel of grace. Never hear about sola gratia, grace alone, theological truth, five solas. We're orthodox, we're not Roman Catholics, move on. When you hear of the freeness and the fullness of Christ given to you, may you and me be overwhelmed and adoring him for his grace. That's what we should do tomorrow. Not cold, not barren, but coming Oh Christ, what kindness you have shown me. But I can't wait to heaven. Because I think because of my sin, how little I appreciate, how little I understand. Do you remember those words from 1 Corinthians 13? Now we know in part, but then we'll know in full. And Robbie Murray McShane in a poem called I Am a Debtor, he says... When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. I can't wait to heaven with an unsinning heart, and love that is spotless will love God for the love he's shown me. But theologically, this is incorrect. God's shown infinite kindness to me. Eternity is not enough to know that, inf- that the, how infinite that is. Which means there is so much, so much love of God towards you. Eternity and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, we will not get to the end of his love. Which means forever and ever and ever we will be worshipping and thanking him and overwhelmed by his kindness. But we do truly praise him, do we not? And one of the ways we do that is remember his death till he comes. Remember tomorrow morning 
Christ's chesed, kindness, loyal, faithful love towards you. And praise him, for he is the king of glory. Let us pray.